Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. The first reading this morning comes from the book of Isaiah and the prophecy that is told there. Let us listen that we may hear what God may share with us this day. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on the very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard than what I had done for it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I tell you, what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove the hedge, and it will be devoured. I will break down the wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make a waste. It shall be pruned. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but he saw bloodshed. Righteousness, but he heard a cry. The New Testament reading comes from the book of Hebrews, and it is a continuation of the chapter 11, where faith is defined as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen, beginning in verse 29. By faith... The people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land, but when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more could I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fires, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They were, went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, in caves, 
and they hid in the ground. Yet all these, though they were commenced for their, they were commended for their faith, they did not receive what was promised, since God had pro provided something better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his hand, his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Keeping the faith. How do we go about keeping the faith? Last week we looked and talked a bit about Scripture that spoke of promises and how we would keep promises. Today we will focus on being connected, staying connected in our faith, and next week about how we might choose life for our faith. I was fortunate to grow up in a family where it was very obvious that I was loved. I was told I was loved, and we lived in that. And I thought that was not something uncommon. I thought everybody lived hearing those words often. I heard tales and I knew about friends and family where the word love was not spoken as much, but I took it for granted that there was always love. Love for me was a part of the way to say I was connected within my family and within the faith community. It wasn't until I became a pastor that my assumption about that was really challenged, even, you could say, shaken. A young man came to the church I was serving. It was on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And he had just been evicted from his home. He was not a member of the church. I did not know him. I do not know why he chose to knock on my church door, but he did. And through my relationship with him, I realized that my assumptions about how love is demonstrated and shared and vocalized and verbalized, that is not the same for so many people. The things that I took for granted were taken for granted, and not everyone else shared them. Sometimes love requires us to let go of another person. So it could have been that this was a part of letting go for, for his family. I, I don't know that, but I do know that what it looked like was a broken relationship. This encounter for me was a lesson that the way I see things, the way I know things, is not necessarily how everybody else in the world sees and knows things. What I assume about connections people have in life are not necessarily the same connections 
that everybody does have. The story in Isaiah is about the, the people of Israel and how they were promised something wonderful. They were the vineyard. This parable says, you are the vineyard. You are the vineyard that God had planted, and God expected wonderful fruit from you, the best fruit from you. But instead of the best fruit, there is only bitter fruit. There are bitter grapes that come from you. The message translation of the Bible put it this way, God looked for a crop of justice, and he saw them murdering each other. God looked for a harvest of righteousness, and he heard only the moans of the victims. Every period of human existence is full of both challenges and opportunities. The English novelist Charles Dickens encapsulated that in a very powerful opening line to one of his books, A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Between these two times, the best and the worst, there is a whole range of promises and possibilities, but there is also violence and even murder. These times, which speak not simply for Dickens' novel, but also for the prophecy of Isaiah, and even for our own time, ring true. It is the best of times, and yet it is also the worst of times. We cannot face anyone else's time. We only face our time. We only have what is before us. We may learn from what has gone on before, and we may hope for what will be, but where we are now is where we are, and we must work in this circumstance with what we have so that we may share what God has given to us, so that we may find ways of being connected, not to produce bitter fruit, but so that we may produce good fruit, bountiful fruit, wonderful fruit. For the Hebrews, the victory at Jericho is an accomplishment of great significance. It's mentioned in that, re in that section of the reading I gave. The, the people crossed over the, the Red Sea on dry land as if it were dry land, and then the, it, the Egyptians were destroyed. They went and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and they came into the promised land, and they confronted people who were living in Jericho who would not let them proceed, and so they circled the city for seven, time, seven days, and the walls came tumbling down. But when you read the story of that and how that unfolded in the book of Exodus in Joshua, you learn that it was not that simple. Spies were sent into the land to try to find a way forward, and they found a woman named Rahab, and Rahab took them in and protected them, and she fed them, and she hid them from the authorities in the city. Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was a woman of, of ill repute, and she was not looked upon favorably by her people, nor has she been looked upon favorably by so many generations subsequently. But were it not for Rahab, the Israelite spies would not have been able to escape. They would not have been able to tell Joshua and the leaders of the people what they needed to do to confront 
the powers that were there, Rahab became a heroine of faith. And when you look in Matthew 1, which, which provides the genealogy of Jesus, the lineage of Jesus, there is Rahab the prostitute listed, for she married one of those spies, and her son Boaz is part of that lineage of the, that led to King David and led to the birth of the Messiah. Her faithfulness, even in the midst of all of those challenges, made a way for the children to be connected in faith and for us to be connected to them. Trying to find the way of faithfulness for Rahab or for us is something of a challenge. We look to the past to help us point to the future. Rahab's story reveals how that is done in part. They persevered. She and the children of Israel persevered. We look to the past and we struggle to find ways of not to be only defined by it, but to be transformed for it. One of the famous lines of the author William Faulkner comes from a requiem from a nun, and it, it's, the line is, the past is never dead, it's not even past. Now, I tell people that I enjoy William Faulkner's novels, and I must tell you it's not necessarily because I enjoy I, I, I understand them. I enjoy them because I know people who are like that. I've encountered some of those characters. I don't think Faulkner was saying we have to be stuck in the past, but we live in it in a way that helps us move into the future. There is a dynamic quality to where we have come from that points us to where we are going. And here we are at the present moment. We seek our connections in faith in many different ways, but faith connections are difficult in life for, lots, for a number of reasons. One is that there is so much anxiety around us. There is so much uncertainty. There is so much distrust in the world. The anxiety I'm speaking about is not necessarily the clinical anxiety that we hear about and we know about, and this is very, very real. The anxiety that I'm speaking about are when the world as we understand it is called into questions. We don't necessarily have a rational basis for this, but we live it. Let me give you an example. As a parent, I went to a preschool program where one of my sons was enrolled. Many of you have done the same. You know what they look like. And prior to, the, uh, prior to the program, a number of parents were staking out territory that would provide the best location for good pictures. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to say any elbows were thrown, but there was, there was a little bit of nudging here and a little bit of nudging there so people could get in the best position. And then the children came out. And some of the children saw their parents and their grandparents or brothers or sisters, and they waved, hi, mommy, hi, daddy. And then there, was, there were a number of other parents or grandparents who said, oh, how you doing, sweet pea? You look so cute. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you do. The program began, and it didn't take very long, but there was a child up there 
that decided he didn't like being up there. He looked out at that mass of people and he realized he was scared. Now, he didn't say he was scared, but he began to cry. One of the workers, one of the, the uh, providers went over to the child and comforted him. And it didn't take very long, but then a second child realized that she too was not comfortable being in front of this people, and she cried out. And then a third, and then a fourth. It didn't take very long, but there weren't enough workers to go around for all the children. So Away in the Manger became really a howling ballad. You know what I'm talking about. That's the picture of anxiety I have. It's an infection, an infectious passage of fear, of nervousness, of apprehension, unease, of distrust, of whatever words you want to put there. And when that sort of anxiety gets into us, we can't be rational, and it's hard to stay connected. It is hard to be connected. Sometimes in those moments, we want to cut off from those people or circumstances that are causing us problems. That's what the children wanted to do. They just didn't want to have anything to do with it, but they were there in front of everybody. But when we have that chance, sometimes we want to cut off. And sometimes when we do that, we simply leave the room. Or we, another thing that children may do that I know I did was we, run, we say we're going to run away and join the circus. We try to find a way to get away. But however we do it, we seek to end something. And sometimes we do that. We walk out of the room. We walk out of people's lives. We move around the world. Or sometimes we may even just move across the street. And sometimes we don't have to move at all, but they move for us. And we remain isolated and cut off. We have let that connection of faith, of love, be broken. In the midst of these troubles, we need to find our way through that anxiety. In the midst of the challenges of life, we must find our way forward. We must regulate that anxiety. We must take that thermostat of fear, of uncertainty in our life, and find a way to modify it so that we are not too hot or too cold, but we are, in fact, just right. It's a hard thing to do, and I don't think anybody does it perfectly, but we move forward in faith, staying connected to that. As one, per, as one author has written, this ability to differentiate ourselves, to stay connected and yet to be our own person, is the ability to say I when others are demanding you or we. This giving, the giving of self is something that's very important for Christians. We understand that we give ourselves to others as part of our calling. Jesus gave himself for us in life. We look to the cross, and that's what we see. So how do we regulate that challenge? How do we modify our own anxiety so that there is life? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a a Lutheran pastor in Germany, and ultimately he was incarcerated by the 
Nazi Third Reich, and he died at a concentration camp. But before he was, he was there, he organized a seminary, and he wrote about it in a small little book called Life Together. And he spoke of these differences. He wrote this, let one who cannot be alone beware of community. Let one who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound perils and pitfalls. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. The tension between fellowship and solitude, the tension between being connected and being isolated, that tension is something we negotiate all the time. How do we stay connected, fully alive, fully aware, fully ourselves, and yet fully engaged? There's a story that goes around about a church youth group. They had been looking at the topic of world hunger, and they decided to come up with a project. The project was to, would be to host a hunger feast for their church. So they sold tickets, and they made preparations, and people arrived. The tickets were color-coded, and the color would, depend, would determine where you, got, where you sat and when you got seated. The blue tickets were the first group of people to be seated. And it was a very small group. And at the table, they were served a piece of chicken, a cup of rice, some peas, and a cup of tea. Everyone who was standing around could see that they were being served this, and they thought, oh, well, this must be the lowest level. This, is, this isn't very much of a, of a feast. The next group was seated. There were more of them, and they received... A, cup of, a half of a cup of rice, a tablespoon of peas, and a half, half a cup of tea. People began to buzz and scratch their heads. Then the third group was seated. There was a teaspoon of rice, there were no peas, and a quarter of a cup of water. And the final group was seated. There was only a quarter cup of water, but not everyone had been seated. Some had to stand for the duration. After this, the youth, some of the youth got up to speak about the issues of world hunger and, and poverty and how the church can respond and how organizations are, are going to respond. A number of the people who participated, the, uh, the um, church members who came, were very impressed with the creativity and the ingenuity that it took to devise this program and to share it. They made contributions to the organizations that the, group, the youth group spoke about. But some scratched their heads. They had been told they would have a feast. They would be told they would have a meal, but they didn't get fed, and they wondered, and they were angry, and they were upset. Some of them even moved their church membership, if you can imagine that. The youth director was called in before the council. Why did you have this feast? You had, you had members give their money and you didn't feed them anything. What is this? What's the matter with this? 
But that's exactly the point. What is the matter with this? And that's what the youth were trying to share with the congregation. There are problems in the world that need to be responded to with all of the creativity and resources we can muster. There are problems in the world for which we need faith in God and Jesus Christ and in each other that we can join together and mount a way to respond. But some did not understand. This is a story about how faith can be translated into action. And it is also a story about how we may respond to that. Sometimes we get it, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we are part of the ones who want to fellowship, and sometimes we are one part of the ones who want to be isolated. To stay connected in faith, we must share across what we know so that something beyond our own understanding is engaged. Something beyond what we can do is spoken to. Staying connected in faith required Rahab to be willing to risk her own life for her own people so that she might join with a new group of people and become part of that story of faith together. William Blake wrote a poem that I know is on the walls of at least one minister and maybe a few more. The poem goes this way, I sought my soul, but my soul I could not see. I sought my God, but my God eluded me. I sought my neighbor, and I found all three. Staying connected in the faith of God and Jesus Christ means that we reach out in moments of challenge. And when we do that, we find ways to share the power of God with others and also to experience it for ourselves. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.